We see photographs that convey so much in such a simple image. One frame, like this one, can convey so many things. This iconic image of this migrant in the 1930s trying to work and provide for her starving children from the Great Depression. Or think image. Back in Tiananmen Square, I can remember seeing this image on the TV and thinking, oh my word, what is happening? It doesn't have to have sound, it just has an image that can convey so much. Or this image of Ruby Bridges trying to integrate schools. And these are the most mild of photos. We know that we could go through so many more vicious photos that convey things that we do not want to see. Think about it when you're watching a a movie or a show, maybe you're watching 1923 this season, and there are images where you either fast forward or you literally look away because you cannot see what is on the screen. We don't have an image this morning, but we have a picture through words. How do you respond when you see an injury? You know, maybe today you're watching the Super Bowl and heaven forbid somebody were to be injured. Do you rewind so you can watch it again? Or do you say, oh, I can never see that thing again? Reality is hard. And I know for many of us, we are so sick of this book of Lamentations. You thought last week, you're like, oh, we're moving on to Psalms. Wonderful. Not so fast. We are in the fourth, what we call chapter of Lamentations. It's on page 689 in the Blue Bible. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand. Even jackals offer the breast they nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk, their bodies more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form as like, was like sapphire. Now, their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his anger, and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem 
This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her blood the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean people, cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests. No favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits. Of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, who, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer, but your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. Happy Sunday. <laughs> this passage doesn't get read a lot to kids at night. Reality is hard. This is happening in about 587 B.C., and it's not even happening to us. And we read it and we cringe. We often don't like to go back and talk about the past, especially the bad things of the past. We don't like to revisit these travesties. Can we just, can we just move on? Can we just talk about something else? Whether it be things that we have done in our own personal lives, things we have done in our families, things we have done as a church, things we have done as a nation, we don't like to talk about the bad things of our past. And yet, and yet, if we don't, this old quote of the history repeating itself rings and echoes in our ear. Because if we just ignore what has happened in the past, how do we move forward and heal in the present? I had the pleasure of watching this, uh, the fourth episode of the six-part series that Wyoming PBS is doing on mental health, and it was called Protecting the Protectors. And it was about how first responders and those on the front lines experience so much trauma because of what they are doing. And yet we don't take the time to discuss and process through these things. We just move on. Let's just move on as if what we have experienced will just go away. And yet, it doesn't go away. We want lamentations to end at the end of chapter 3, and yet it doesn't. The picture just gets bleaker we want to take our negative experiences and the tragedies and the horrific events in our lives and we want to place them in the basement of our minds in hopes that we will never have to deal with them again. 
And yet we know that is not a reality. That is not a reality. And here, Jeremiah is recounting what has happened to the people of Israel. God's chosen people are in a horrific spot. I mean, unimaginably bad. Happier were the victims, this is verse 9, happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. How unimaginable. How unimaginable would it be to be in this place where you would rather die by the sword than experience the hunger that exists that leads to death. That it is a moment of grace for you to kill your own child. And for us today, we think, oh, this is, this is way back then, 587 B.C. And yet we know that the reality of this still happens today. People so moved by hunger and pain. that they don't even know what to do. And yet we know what has happened. We know what has happened to the nation of Israel. God has gave them clear instruction. This is how you are to live, and if you choose to not live this way, there will be punishment. And now they are being punished. And the punishment is unimaginable. And it can become so easy for us to say, I'm experiencing this thing in my life and it is God punishing me because this is what is happening here. And no, that is not necessarily the case. This is the nation of Israel being disobedient, rejecting God from the top leaders. The people who had it all They had everything they could ever imagine, and yet they choose to reject God. In verse 13, the author tells us, This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. The people who were supposed to be doing the right thing are doing the wrong thing, and God is disciplining them. And we see this interesting connection between Lamentations and the Gospel of Matthew, which we've been walking through on Wednesday nights, in verse 14. This phrase, they were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. These words echo in the mouth of Jesus in Matthew 23. Matthew 23. 
These people believed that they were untouchable, that they could do whatever they wanted without recourse. Have you ever said to yourself, as you're maybe reflecting on things, that could be worse? That's, I mean, think about so-and-so and, and how bad it is for them. My thing is nothing. So a couple weeks ago, I went down to, to do the ultimate journey in Des Moines at their headquarters to try and deal with some, some mental health things. And, and one of the things that you do in the ultimate journey is you make a vow to the other participants that you will not engage in what we call comparative suffering. Because as you sit and you listen to someone else's story, we have this tendency in our own brains to say, well, I shouldn't even say what I'm about to say because compared to this person, my life was so good. Compared to this person, I haven't even experienced anything. And so then you hear in the, this voice in the back of your head, or at least I did, <laughs> Eric, you have nothing to complain about. And yet that is the voice of the enemy because the enemy wants us to believe that what we are experiencing is, of not, is not of value. That our pain isn't bad compared to the next person. But our pain is our pain and that's why it hurts. Have you ever stubbed your toe like you get up in the middle of the night and you kick the end of the bed? And you feel like we should probably call 911 right now. You should wake up the whole house. We need to triage the situation because the pain that is going through my tiny, my tiny little toe, I know some people are like, your tiny toe isn't that tiny, okay? Mm, funny. Pain is pain. And it is good. It isn't just okay. It is good for us to express the pain that we are experiencing. That's what Lamentations is about. As, we as John talked about last week in Psalm 22, as Jesus echoes the words of David, Jesus is experiencing excruciating pain and he verbalizes it. He grants us permission to say, I am hurting. And yes, I may not be hurting in the way that you're hurting, but my hurt hurts. And it hurts bad. And I don't have to put on a happy face and, and act like everything's okay. Because pain is pain, and we need to give each other, starting with ourselves, the permission to feel. But so often, we put on our happy face, we put on our nice clothes, and we walk into this world acting like we aren't hurting. Because we think, so-and-so has it worse. And yet, Lamentations is telling us God has placed his word in front of us to say pain is pain and I want to hear about it. 
in order to experience health and healing and wholeness, we need to start admitting where our pain is at. Because sometimes our pain isn't even where we think it is. A few years ago when I was on ski patrol, we had this incident where this young gal had, had fractured her leg. That's pain. <laughs> when in reality, she had actually also fractured her skull. But the pain in her leg was so overwhelming, she didn't realize all that she was experiencing. I want to say this morning, you have the permission to feel whatever you're feeling, and that isn't just okay, that is healthy. And to lament to a God who can handle it is about, that's what this book is about. We don't just have to be shiny, happy people holding hands. Jesus tells us he didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. He came for the hurting and the broken. And that's why we gather. We gather together to worship and to share in these experiences and to offer hope to one another. And yet lamentations were like, where's the hope? It's there. We'll get there. And notice Notice what is happening in verse 17. We see this big shift. Do you see the shift? It starts with that first person plural word that we have in the English. I've been thinking a lot more lately about how the English language functions. First person singular, first person plural. That's what the hour is. Our eyes have failed. Our pursuers have done this. They have chased us. This is about the corporate experience. And so often we can be bound up into this individual pursuit of God that we miss out that we miss out on how the corporate body functions. And just like with the pinky toe, our hand doesn't say, tough, too bad for you, I feel fine. The head doesn't say, you need to knock that off because I want to go back to sleep. No, the body responds in this magnificent way because that is how God has designed us to be so that when one part is hurting the rest of the body comes to the aid and this is a corporate lament because the the whole nation is experiencing these things in our watching we watched And then we see this interesting twist at the end in verse 21 and 22. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, who, you who dwell in the land of Uz. Well, the problem is Edom is the enemy. 
So right when you think this, these words of rejoicing and, be, and gladness are going to be there for the nation of Israel, it's actually for the enemy. And it's like, wait, I thought we were done. But it's short-lived. Because the writer says, but to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. What is despair? It's been a word that's been coming back up. You know, we just celebrated Groundhog's Day. Uh, there was this big ongoing joke that we couldn't have Groundhog's Day in Minnesota in February because we know that there's a lot more winter to be had no matter what Punxsutawney Phil sees. And it brings us, always brings to mind the, the great Bill Murray film where he's trapped, where every day is the same. Every day is the same, and he's trying to get out of this trap. And despair is believing that tomorrow will be the same as today. When you go to bed at night and you believe that tomorrow will be just as bad as today was, you are experiencing despair. But what is the opposite of despair? What is the inverse of despair? It's hope. As we just sung about in the last song, this idea of the hope of Jesus Christ is this light at the end of the tunnel. It's this light at the end of the cave that we find ourselves in when we are in despair. And that's what we get at the end of this section. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. As we think back to the, when we were going through Hebrews and this concept that, that God disciplines those he loves. If God didn't want his people to be restored, he would just let them toil in their own sin. But he says, what we have done through this has been accomplished. He, God, will keep you in exile no longer. He will keep you in exile no no longer. That is hope. In the midst of this pain and darkness and just ridiculous picture, we have one tiny little sliver that God will restore his people. God will bring about restoration to the nation. And this tiny little glimpse of hope because sometimes that's all we need. So the question is, where does your hope come from? Where does our hope come from in the midst of despair? As the writer talks about previously in this poem, their hope came from the city. Their hope came from the belief that they were God's chosen people and they could do whatever they want and that the city of Jerusalem in verse 12 was going to be protected forever. Where does our hope come from? Our hope comes from one place. 
Jesus Christ. Our hope is unchangeable today, tomorrow, and forever. That doesn't eliminate despair. That doesn't eliminate suffering. That doesn't eliminate us from experiencing the things of this world. And yet it gives us a glimmer of hope in the face of despair. And sometimes we forget that. We forget that there is hope and that hope is only in Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to come together. That's why we come together regularly to meet and to worship and to share the hope of Jesus Christ with one another. Because we don't know the person sitting next, the person sitting near us. What are they going through? What are they experiencing? Frankly, we don't even know the person sitting next to us that shares the same house as us. Often we don't know the depths of what they are experiencing because we don't believe that we have the permission to feel what we're feeling. And so we offer hope to one another. In the midst of the darkest of nights, in the midst of the pit of despair that these people are experiencing, there is hope. And that hope relies on the truth of Jesus Christ and the promise of God that he loves us so much that no matter how bad it is, he will restore us. And I know for many of us, we think, yeah, yeah, that's going to happen when I die and I go to heaven. Yes, that is true. And it's also true that that hope can be lived in the present today. The hope of Jesus Christ is not just about heaven. It's about today. And the one charismatic person said in their brain, amen. (laughs) You also have the permission to blurt things out. (laughs) So where are we at today? Because for some of us, we hear this and we're like, It's not computing for me. Things are wonderful in my life. Things are going so well. I don't even know what despair feels like because things are going so well. Amen. Praise the Lord. And yet some of us, maybe many of us, are not in that place. And so how can we offer hope to each other? We talk about this concept of outreach. Outreach isn't just about getting people saved. It's about offering hope to those who are in darkness and despair. So as we go out and we share the good news about Jesus Christ, We aren't just getting people into heaven. We're offering the gift of hope. And at times, that is all we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We come to you this morning as a corporate body thinking about this passage, and sometimes we just say, why, God, do we even have this in our Bibles? Why do we have to read this stuff and see these images and remember this stuff? 
And yet, Lord, you give us this offering of hope. You have offered hope to those who will trust in you from the very beginning. And even in the midst of the darkest of despair, you offer us hope. Hope in the present. Holy Spirit, may you burn that into us so deeply that it is an unquenchable fire that burns even in the darkest of times. And that as we experience this thing called community and life together, that we can extend hope to one another. That we can feel what we're feeling and also feel hopeful for one another and for what you are doing. May we take this hope of Jesus Christ into this world. Not just on Sunday, every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.